and welcome back to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ellie Mae Taylor, and joining me as ever are my two excellent co-hosts, Jesse Billington and Timo Albers-Daly. How are you both? I'm not doing too bad. Had a busy Easter weekend. Again, we've had one of our little holidays away. Went up to Donington Park, didn't we? We saw some classic racing, which is nice. We had historic Formula One cars, Le Mans legends, sports cars, gentleman races, the full works of just interesting automobilia. And of course, friend of the podcast, Alex Brundle was there. So catch up with Alex as well, which was quite nice. And then, yeah, spent the rest of Easter just eating chocolate and fixing the MG, which now works entirely. It's great. It's got a new starter motor on it, fires right up, runs and drives. All is good. I give it less than six months. I don't even give it six. I, it's going to be three before I have to change something else on it. Oh, well, I'm also quite good having a having a nice time of it at the moment. How are you, Ellie May? I'm, I'm good, thank you. Like Jesse said, been to Donington. I now weirdly feel refreshed from it. It kind of revived me. But anyway, whilst there is a gap in the F1 calendar, we thought there's no better time to go through the Formula Formula 1's brand new series, F1 Academy. If you don't know what it is, it's an all-female single-seater racing series, which aims to develop and prepare female drivers in order for them to progress further up the single-seater ladder. They'll be racing at seven different circuits, which we'll touch upon the calendar later, but five of these are F1 circuits, although they will not be racing on the same weekends. But... Stefano Domenicali has already announced that they will be racing alongside F1 next year. The race weekend consists of two qualifying sessions and three races per weekend, so it will be action-packed. We have also touched upon this in the past, but Susie Wolfe is the managing director for F1 Academy. She has both a racing and management background after being a racing driver herself and CEO of Rocket Venturi Formula One team, just to name some of her achievements. So... She can amalgamate all her previous knowledge into making F1 Academy a successful racing series for women. There are five teams involved, each with three drivers. So without further ado, Timo, would you like to open up with the first team on our list, ART Grand Prix? I shall. As you say, ART Grand Prix, we've got three drivers, as you mentioned there. So the first on my list is Leah Bula, who is one of the ones that I predicted would be in F1 Academy. I shall do this a couple of times throughout this podcast, don't you worry. Uh, she's a 25-year-old Swiss racer, and she first began competing in BMXing, interestingly enough, at an international level before switching over to karting in 2016. Four years later, she made her single-seated debut, claiming six top 10 finishes in the Spanish F4 Championship. She then became the first female driver to race in the Formula Regional European Championship by Alpine, need a short title for that, Alpine, in 2021, and had a best result at 20th there, but was unfortunately forced to end her second campaign early last year. She did, however, compete in F4 UAE Championship earlier this year with the highest finish of P15 to get that experience going again, and also tested for W Series last year. Um, so a lot of single-seated interesting stuff there is kind of the perfect driver to start this whole shenanigan podcast off with because it's the kind of driver who needs that opportunity to prove herself and keeps getting cut short for whatever reason left right and center so it's kind of prime in that age category of not being too young not being too old which again old with these drivers is still silly anyway because you're in your mid-20s and you're old but you know um so it'd be very interesting to see how she develops there Second driver for ART, we've got Carrie Schreiner, who's 24-year-old German. She began a career in karting, becoming the first woman to win the 2012 ADAC Kart Masters in an X3 in the X30 junior category. She then competed in British and German F4 championships in 2016 before switching to GT and endurance racing, claiming both the Lamborghini Super Trofeo Middle East 
and DMV Gran Turismo Touring Car Cup titles in 2018. So a lovely bit of kind of variety to her background. She also became the first woman to win a race in the selective Porsche Sports Cup. And in 2021, she finished fifth in the Italian GT Championship. Like I said, the GT kind of endurance racing background, not sure how that often comes and transferring over to single seaters. You see it more in the opposite way. Um, but after having a chat with Francesca Pizzi, which you can listen to on the channel for this podcast the other day, it kind of works quite nicely as a complimentary way to it's a different kind of endurance, different kind of sprint. So I think that as long as it's it's like we always say whenever we're kind of talking amongst each other, daughter drivers, as long as you've got that bit of variety in your wheelhouse when it comes to racing, then it should serve you well and you never know what you're going to be able to apply from one category to another. So be very interesting to see how she gets on there. And then the third and final drive for, for ART is you've got Chloe Grant. So in 2020, she became the youngest driver to earn a Motorsport UK Junior Racing Driver Licence in Scotland before winning the CKRC and BWRDC Kart Sport Championship titles. This was followed by a switch to car racing in 2021, where she drove in the Junior Saloon Car Championship, then moved over to UKGB4 Championship the following year and finished ninth in the standings, achieving 10 top 10 finishes in the final 12 race of the season. So interesting lineup, very varied backgrounds for all of them and kind of ART covering all bases, I think. There lots of experience in different areas and I think just kind of very much seeing how it will go, but there's a lot of potential in that team. It's certainly an interesting lineup for ART. I was just looking over sort of their sort of full grid picture and ART are running a very similar livery to what we've seen on their sort of F2, F3 cars, which again really helps ape the idea that this is a proper feeder series this is where we're going to see these sort of familiar team names bringing this talent through the ranks and we've got an interesting sort of picking base for even within art within these three drivers we've got drivers coming from very different backgrounds in motorsport which is hopefully going to bring some interesting driving styles techniques and performances to the field so certainly a lot to look forward to in that regard at least the last thing I'll say on that one is, like we see throughout the rest of the, the grid as well, is that with all these very backgrounds, it does smack it a little bit for me just to extremely in the most random kind of way of like, you've just got a lot of drivers with a lot of various different backgrounds all coming together in one place where it's all kind of equal machinery to see how they can do with all the different backgrounds. So it'd be very interesting, not just within that team, but throughout the whole grid, like you say. And we say equal machinery. I was looking at the cars as well. I don't haven't delved too deep into the specs of them. I think they're going to be a round W series F4 spec. Um, but interestingly, the aero on them looks like a weird hybrid between sort of the F2 cars, the F3 cars, and the F1 cars, especially with that rounded sort of rear wing. It's got a lot of aspects that could see the drivability and performance of these cars being an appropriate challenge as well, something where drivers get a real chance to show off their ability to sort of control a car on track. So Certainly something to look forward to in that regard as well. I'd love to find out a bit more about the tech of these cars and quite what's gone into them, but something for another day, certainly. Uh, we'll move on to Prima, which is the next team on our list, and uh, one of their drivers we'll kick off with is Bianca Bustamante. Uh, made her single-seater debut last year, competing in W Series, scoring points in her first race with a ninth-place finish in Miami. Uh, the 18-year-old went on to finish the season 15th in the driver's standings, claiming the top rookie honours. And Bustamante is currently competing in the Formula 4 for UAE Championship with Prima already uh, ahead of her debut in the all-female series and has already scored points on in this season at the third round in Q8. She's also raced in the Indian Racing League at the end of 2022. So she's already got a sort of 
a good crop of racing background coming into this and is almost certainly going to be one to watch. Uh, sitting alongside her, we have Chloe Chong, the British Canadian raced in the British Kart Championships X30 junior class and achieved one of the four finalist spots in the FIA Girls on Track Rising Stars programme. So one that the FIA has already sort of dropped a pin on and gone, this is someone to keep an eye on. So it'll be interesting to see her progress as the sort of season passes by. And then rounding out the lineup for Prima, we have Marta Garcia, another familiar name from W Series. Uh, she had a very successful karting career, which saw her win the 2015 CIK FIA Karting Academy Trophy and the Trofeo de la Industria. I want to say it is how it's going to be pronounced. Um, uh, Garcia then made the step up to single seaters in 2016, competing in Spanish F4 as a guest driver, returning for a full season the following year with 14 points scoring finishes out of 20 races, which saw her finish ninth in the standings, which given how fiercely competitive Spanish F4 is and indeed many F4 leagues, that is not a not a bad title to walk away with there uh, obviously we've seen her in the past three seasons of w series finishing fourth in her rookie campaign in 2019 with a maiden win and two podiums and uh, she went on to score two further podium finishes in 2021 and 2022 alongside a pole position in singapore last year so she is fiercely competitive and again definitely going to be one of the ones to keep an eye on given she's got this far greater breadth of history in single seaters so i'll be interested to see how more adept she is when it comes to transferring that to whatever the formula one academy has put together in their tech package this season she's someone i was hoping would potentially have got an f3 or an f2 seat even for this year because like you say she's very competitive in what she's already proven herself there so hopefully this is going to be again it's, it's hard to know who's going to be fighting for a championship with we haven't even had a race yet but Mara Garcia just screams of fast Spaniard in terms of Alonso and Alonso incidentally is one of her racing heroes so I wouldn't be surprised to see her emulate that and it's kind of she's got a lot not a lot of pressure on her shoulders but I think there's maybe more of an expectation with her than some of the others because she's got this strong background already in single-seater racing. Yeah I think there'll definitely be a pressure there for her or an expectation for her to achieve but given what we've seen of her especially in the likes of W Series I don't have any doubts that she won't achieve, which is uh, that should sound positive, but it's weirdly phrased for me. Plus, Prima have a good background generally with drivers, especially in the junior categories of F2 and F3. Yes, very much so. Uh, moving on to Carlin now, their first driver lineup is Jessica Edgar. She's, fun fact, the cousin of Formula 3 racer Johnny Edgar. She began her karting at the early age of five and in 2021 made the list for the FIA Girls on Track Rising Star programme. So like, who was it? Chloe Chong. So like Chloe Chong, she's been uh, sort of listed quite early. A 17-year-old took her first steps on the single-seater ladder last year, competing in the GB4 Championship in UK, finishing seventh overall with one podium finish. The next driver is Abby Pulling, who, for me, I think she's definitely the one to watch in this season. She was an absolute powerhouse in W Series and was also coached by Abby Eaton. Is that? Uh, Alice Powell. Alice Powell, that's it. Uh, the 19-year-old W Series veteran joins the outfit as well as remaining in the Alpine Driver Academy. Despite only being in four races in W Series in 2021, she finished in seventh overall with 40 points to her name and got pole in Austin. She then finished fourth in 2022 with two podiums. Uh, and the last driver in uh, 
Carlin is Megan Gilks. She's a Canadian who competed in F1200 in 2017 and raced in W Series in 2019, winning the non-championship race in Assen. She finished sixth in GB4 last year with two wins and a podium. Was waiting for Jesse to dive on the Abbey pulling hype train a little bit there. It's established <laughs> I'm an Abbey pulling fan. Um, I just wanted no to give you the me. opportunity again. <laughs> There's no point in really hopping on that one. I think she's going to absolutely cream this season. And if 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 her past form is anything to go by, she's going to look exceptionally strong coming into this. And I don't have any doubt that she'll be able to really perform at the top of her sort of game with this one. She has been training hard in the off season, so she'll be coming into this in sort of peak physical form. She's been working hard with, as we've established, Alice Pull- um, Alice Powell, her trainer. There is a lot riding on her shoulders, but they are—they look to be strong shoulders on the grounds of carrying a championship at this point in time. And she's even got the Alpine livery on her academy car. So it looks good at this point in time. Everything is lining up really nicely for her. And it's not like she's going to be up against a sort of duff teammate set either. She's against Jessica Edgar, who's really hot talent coming through, and Megan Gilks as well is someone to certainly keep an eye out for and has got sort of previous form in single seaters. But yeah, I think Abby Pulling is going to be the one to really keep an eye on and watch as I think certainly she'll be one battling against Marta Garcia as the rounds go by. And there's certainly a few other names that we're about to come across that will probably throw a good spanner into the works there. Yeah, and one last thing on Megan Gilks there as well is that like Leah Pula before her in ART, it's nice to see her getting this opportunity again because she obviously had to series did all right there but didn't do enough for the uh, opinion of w series to stick around for the other two seasons so it was you never know when your last opportunity is going to be in some even if you are young and just starting out for something so for her to come into f1 academy now is is pretty good for her to hopefully it'd be a good chance for just to, to prove that she's still got it and she's gone away and learned some stuff and improved mm. it'll be interesting to see what that sort of time away from it and then the latter development has sort of had with regards to her driver role. Timo, you've got some notes for us on Campos. I do, and I'm really looking forward to seeing this team in action, to be perfectly honest. I mean, not just because I've talked to all three of these drivers before previously from the curves, but just because they're all just really strong in their own right as well. And like you were alluding to, this first driver is potentially another championship contender straight on the box before we even have a race under our belts, because that's Neria Marti. She secured a maiden podium in her first Spanish F4 race, ended that campaign 16th in the championship. Then in 2021, she moved to W Series and finished the year as the highest-placed rookie, kind of showing Bianca Bustamante the ropes before Bianca Bustamante even turned up there. Um, so she was fourth in driver standings overall. Then in 2022, she took her maiden pole position at the first round in Miami and scored two podiums across the season, ending up seventh overall by the end of the year. She also took part in the all-women's FIA Formula 3 test at Magicor in November of last year. Christ, was that only last year? Time is weird. She also drove in two races for Campos in Valencia in the Formula Winter Series this year, where she scored nine points in total, finishing P14 overall out of the 20 classified in the standings, which considering only two races out of an eight-race championship and you get that high up in the standings, not too bad. Then you've got Lola Lovenfossi, French driver who competed in Spanish F4 in 2021 and last winter continued getting single-seater experience as she competed in the inaugural season of the Indian Racing League alongside Bianca Bustamante. Also racing the Formula Winter Series, getting four points after also racing in two events, also with Campos. You can see there's a pattern forming here. And then third is one of the rookies that I'm most kind of eagerly anticipating to see in the car because it's Matty Ceseris, she's a Uruguayan driver with a lot of potential for me 
W Series test ahead of the 2022 season. Didn't go there, but then she also competed in Spanish F4 in 2021 before moving on last year into the USF Juniors over in the States. And with one of my personal favorite overtakes just generally in motorsport last year at Cota at the final round, she you've got the S's when you're coming down after turn one and you've got God knows how many cars are in. I think you've got around 30 cars, 27 maybe in the championship, but I think you've got maybe 30 in a race. And as she's going all full speed through the S's and they're all pretty bunched together and she goes and overtakes one of them, one or two of them at least on the outside going through those corners, which as much as the outside changes when you're going through the pretty boards and ambitious and it was just chef's kiss of an overtake. I mean, that's the equivalent of really sending one around the outside of Maggot's Beckett's because it's no pretty much that, that section is designed to be Maggot's Beckett's. It's laid out and spaced out the same as the Silverstone section. It is designed to be essentially a copy paste of it. So if you're you're able to send one around the outside through maggots beckett's you've got you've got some cojones right there for certain oh most definitely and the fact that we've got austin on the calendar for f1 academy this year on an f1 weekend that's all i'm going to mention on that one we'd let that we'll just let that rest but uh, she was 21st out of 27 drivers overall in the standings with 45 points to her name she also competed in the formula winter series for campus this year too with seven points in her two races just a couple behind uh neria who is a bit further up. And uh, yeah, just one to watch for me. She's very exciting. We don't have a lot of drivers from South America generally, both male and female, just as a, as a total thing. So it'd be very nice if we could get someone, especially from a smaller country like Uruguay. And there's a lot of, there's just a lot of potential there. And I just think, you know, when you see a driver coming up in F3 or F2, Jesse, and you just think that one, that one's worth keeping an eye on. That's that's what I've got on, the, on, on this one for Matty and for Campos there. Certainly one to keep an eye on. And when it comes to sort of drivers from South America, I mean, you, you're you really looking at some big names from South America, at least. You're looking at, obviously, you've got your centers. Uh, Matt Fangio as well comes from Argentina, same neck of the woods. But yeah, when it comes to having had big names make it through to Formula 1 in quite some time, obviously we've got the two Fittipaldi brothers, but that's about it really at the moment coming from that part of the world. So it's quite underrepresented. So it's nice to see this sort of extra wave of talent coming through from that part of the world and being sort of recognized and respected so it's all good things in that regard um speaking of some incredible representation we've got um a really nice double here in mp most we've got hamda al-kabasi and amna al-kabasi both of them stepping forward from the middle east i can't remember for the life of me where their home nation is um but regardless hamda got into single seaters in 2019 through the italian f4 season and 2021 she made history becoming the first female racer to claim a podium in the championship alongside finishing fourth in the f4 uae champs where she achieved two wins and six podiums after that the 20 year old participated in both the formula regional asian and european championships where she also competed in f4 uae earlier this year as well just sort of going back to it and uh racking up another 12 points but also managed to break her arm in the process but she's uh willing to push herself to get points. The determination is certainly there. Meanwhile, Amna Al-Kabasi uh, made her single-seater debut Italian F4 a year prior to Hamda in, this was 2018, where she gained uh, two seasons of experience in this in the uh, format before becoming the first Emirati, and there we are, there's your answer, uh, 
Emirati and female race to compete in the Formula 4 UAE Championship the following year. From there, the 22-year-old has also competed in the Asian F3 Championship, Formula Regional Asian Championship, and a two-round appearance in the Formula Regional European Championship by Alpine. Lots of long championship names there, but lots of important ones that are worth looking back on for these two incredible drivers that have really sort of shaken up the field and proven that regardless of where you come from as a woman, you can really crack it into, into motorsport and make a damn good go of it. So it'll be, it's incredible to see them make it to a very recognised platform of Formula One Academy. And also very be- different for a change that we've got sisters in the same team, in the same championship. We're used to seeing siblings in motorsport, but not necessarily in the same team, on the same kind of racing series. Like you've got Arthur Leclerc and Charles Leclerc. You've got, um, you had... Michael and Ralph but you don't generally see you took a while for them to get racing together and even then it was like here's Michael and then there's Ralph over here yeah. you don't have two drivers that are so similar in age so kind of equal in a lot of ways on ability and it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of balances out in the team and what kind of dynamic that will cause and whether or not the third member of the team which we'll get to in a second will be able to capitalise on the potential sibling rivalry mm-hmm. it'll be definitely one to watch what year was it that UAE let women start to drive? Good question. Uh, yeah, it just says that they are allowed to drive. Uh, it doesn't say <laughs> when, but this was published 2021. The argument is that essentially, yeah, you're coming from a neck of the woods where sort of female representation or female rights are so sort of behind the rest of the world, certainly the Western world. And getting to see sort of talent emerging from this part of the globe is incredible given the sort of huge leaps forwards that it's taken for women's rights and how fast all of a sudden we're seeing women come to the fore in sporting fields where they previously wouldn't have been able to and them to now have this sort of platform to work from is a good thing indeed. It's Um, also worth noting, sorry, one last thing that that when chatting with Hamdu, it was interesting to see her mindset that she was having with her racing career because I was thinking, what's stopping you from... This was before, well before F1 Academy was on the radar and even being announced as, as something that was happening, but very interesting to see that she was not in a rush with anything. She was very much take it one thing at a time and let me get into this championship. So say it was the Italian F4 championship, for example. She was like, right, let's just maximise what we can do here. We learn about it. We, if we get points, we get points. If we get podium, we get podium. But I'm not going to be disappointed if I don't get those whatever in a very calm and mature head on on the shoulders of someone who's very young, let's face it. Um, and I know we're very old over here on the podcast, but, you know, in racing driver terms. So it was just quite interesting to see that level of maturity there already very kind of strictly disciplined in there but also then very fun kind of carefree nature on the other side of it which i think is exactly what you need as a racing driver all business when you're in the car but then can be kind of daniel ricardo outside of it Mm, to have that sort of duality nature that's expected of you as a as a driver and having that very early on is quite the mean feat but we ought not to get sort of washed away and forget about the third driver over at uh, MP Motorsport with uh, Emily de Hoos, who's uh, the Dutch team already is a familiar environment for her as she made her single seat debut with MP in Spanish Formula 4 in 2021, winning the female trophy that same year. Last year, we saw her in W Series, earning a best result of 10th. And uh, the upcoming F1 Academy season sees the 20-year-old having also competed in the UAE Formula 4 Championship with MP. So a lot of these drivers have already been bedding in with their teams in small 
smaller winter series and smaller F4 championships, which is a good thing to see. It's great to see these teams very actively participating in the role they're playing and offering these sort of incredible talents drives in other seasons so they can get used to the way the teams work, get used to the people they're going to be working alongside for a full sort of high level season. And it's nice to see that already there's this level of engagement with them, which is a promising thing looking forwards, even if we do still have a few doubts about the F1 Academy for this season alone, at least there's a lot of active and positive moves being made by the people actually within it, even if it's not from the head honchos. I'm going to switch back to Eddie May immediately and be very mean and ask you the question, even though we've not had any racing and you've just got the information in front of you, are there any in particular that stand out for you that you think as a, as a fun wild pre-season prediction, who maybe is going to win a race, who's going to get a championship? What do you think? I think, as I said earlier, I think Abby Pulling. You're I sticking think, with that? Yeah, I'm going to stick with Abby Pulling. She was... I mean, apart from, you know, sort of Jamie Chadwick and whatnot of w, in W series, for me, she was one of the standouts of the crowd. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with Abby Pulling. Jesse, you can't have Abby Pulling? Oh, why not? Because <laughs> um, may beat you to it. <laughs> okay. Um, I could go Nare Marti, could go Marta Garcia. I'm going to go possibly a bit left field and go Lea Bula. And also it's worth remembering that she does have... Uh, Salba Driver Academy backing as well so clearly someone yes. inside Salba has looked at her and gone you seem quick in a racing car come with me my friend and uh, <laughs> yeah she's certainly going to be one to look out for especially if the big talents are sort of teams that obviously have looked at Teo Porcher someone who is fiercely competitive and very fast on track and someone who's also able to snaffle up Guan Yu Zhou as well someone who's proven to be exceptionally capable in a chassis alongside Valtteri Bottas and seem equitable they've got a knack for spotting good talent and moving them forwards again look at the likes of Charles Leclerc able to find these really good talents and nurture them if she's got Sauber on side that for me is a very strong sign so yeah Maya Bula is probably going to be one to keep an eye on also where Checo started wasn't it Sauber yes he did so... Red Bull in her future God help her <laughs> or less <laughs> either Red Bull or Ferrari so <laughs> oh <laughs> Oh no. Anyway, <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go for the South American that I was getting excited about earlier because if for no other reason, South Americans seem to be quick in motorsport and we've seen that in Formula One in particular. You've got Rubens, you've got Massa, you've got Seb Montoya in F three at the moment who was doing decently as well. You've got Tatiana Calderon who's just been announced to come back to the European Le Mans series. So that's and again Checo if we're gonna go a little bit more north. Um so I'm gonna go and be bold and say Matty Ceres goes for goes for the title. Uh, you've also got to bear in mind, oh, um, if you're going to really hype up and say South American drivers are great, who is the one for Williams whose car caught far after he got his maiden win? <laughs> oh no, not this again. I'm going to completely, <laughs> completely torpedo your... Um, <sighs> Oh, oh, Pastor Maldonado. No, Pastor Maldonado, yeah. yeah. So I'm going to completely torpedo your thing with Pastor Maldonado. Not he was from South a America. different country, so it's fine. You said South America. Yes, but now I'm changing it to Uruguay because then I've got a 100% success or fail race and I can ride or die with this driver. <laughs> I'm wondering where it was Pastor Maldonado from again. Venezuela, wasn't he? Yeah. Yep. Still. He got a win, he so it wasn't that bad. <laughs> He also did have the nickname Crash to Maldonado. Anyway, back to F1 Academy. 
And then Anyway, gone... please talk about the calendar. Yes. Yes. Uh, as we said at the start, F1 Academy will race at seven tracks uh, this year. Their first is Spielberg on the 28th and 29th of April. They then go to Valencia on the 5th, 6th and 7th of May. Barcelona on the 19th, 20th and 21st of May. They then go up to Zandvoort on the 23rd, 24th and 25th of June. Monza on the 7th, 8th and 9th of July. The Castellet, which means I can finally wear my Paul Ricard bucket hat on a race weekend. On the it's be a Spa F1 race weekend as well, so you'll be kind of torn there, but yes. Yeah. Uh, I will also be at W Series, uh, not W Series, uh, Formula E. So maybe You're if just I gonna, You need like a hat for them, a t-shirt for Formula E, trousers for F1, and then figure something else out. I don't know. You're the, you're the fashion one. Well, I'll make it work anyway. And then they lastly round up the series in Austin between the 20th and 22nd of October. So quite a big gap between... Paul Ricard and Austin, I would say the first thing I have to say on this calendar is that we don't have a British round. Whether that be, you know, whether they had it at Silverstone, Brands Hatch, Donington, I think they're missing out because last year W Series was the second most watched motorsport event in the UK since Sky Records Mm -hmm. began. So maybe the opportunity has been missed, but then perhaps maybe we'll see it next year if this calendar gets bigger. I don't know. I would agree there because it does seem like another kind of shot in the foot that they've given themselves unnecessarily there with a few other things like the example that Mons and Castelli are on F1 Grand Prix weekends but not actually at the same circuit that Formula 1 is at. It does seem a little bit odd that you wouldn't try and maximise that. It's also worth noting at time of recording. We're not actually sure where this will be broadcast yet. Um, No one's... I mean, we assume Sky, maybe Channel 4 because they're the ones in the UK that have that but it's not actually been said or confirmed yet, and maybe it's just going to be an F1 TV thing. But again, for something that is happening this month, and depending when you're listening to this very, very soon, you'd think we'd know by now. Yeah, I mean, you'd at least hope YouTube. Did they not feel hmm. W Series had their free practices on YouTube? Didn't they, they did, free practice and qualifying, I think. Yeah. And then Formula E is obviously on Channel 4's YouTube uh, channel this year. Yeah. So, so there's, there's precedence for it. Hopefully, at least, if it's not aired live on TV, it will be live on YouTube. That we can... Might not be a bad idea either if they can promote it correctly and then you've got a global audience straight away there. You don't need to worry about access because everyone can get onto YouTube. And again, it's all, it's just about making sure that they have enough eyeballs looking at it and they've done a decent job promoting it, which if you're directly competing with F1 on a couple of weekends, you're going to want to make sure you get that right. I think a key element to this is also going to be not hiding it behind a paywall. I think people are willing to pay that mm. Formula One to get access to things like F1 TV and Sky Sports. We'll say, or at least include it with F1 TV yeah. or Sky Sports. Or there's got to be some way of fairly accessing this and giving it a fair chance at succeeding and getting the viewership numbers that it needs for it to work. And equally, this is a marketing-wise and sort of finance-wise a lot bigger than W Series. You're looking to have proper sponsors come in and sponsor these proper teams that have come together to do this. W Series said, so I don't want to say some sort of hokum teams come together for it, but there were not big recognisable teams coming together for it, and they were mm. a lot of very UK-centric teams coming together to make this work. If you're going to pitch this as a big international series, you want to make sure that people from across the globe can watch it and 
also thus drive the sponsorship and the money that's needed to get these women further up the ranks. There's no point in lying about the fact that eventually they're going to need sponsorship money, which is fine if you're the likes of Abby Pulling or Leah Bueller, where you've got these big teams already backing you. But if you fall outside those two out of the 15 drivers, you've really got to hope that there's some big TV eyes watching this and some big TV advertisers also watching this. I think the problem of having some of these races on a clashing with an F1 weekend is that, say, Sky film it, they're going to have to have one production team in whatever F1 weekend they've got and also be at F1 Academy. That's then two separate money, a lot of money, different presenters... They're also on at the same time, I think, because yeah, even with exactly. European, because it's all in Europe, those two yeah. rounds, and it's all kind of a bit messy on that front. So it's then you're obviously going to prioritize the F1 from a marketing perspective if you're Sky, but then do you have F1 Academy on some other random Sky Sports channel? Do you show highlights of it later? How do you go about that? We don't know yet. And it just kind of, again, it does seem a bit like it's all been cobbled together last minute. I mean, we've had this discussion before about why did they not just take W series and kind of, you know, give it a new set of tires, give it a new look kind of thing, make the changes where it needed to be and insert it somewhere and just kind of rebrand it and do it from there instead of starting from scratch, because it seems this first year is, good as it potentially will be from a racing perspective, and I don't doubt that there will be some good races because as we've seen from the drivers, we've got a lot of great talent there. But in terms of everything else, it does seem a little bit like, oh, we haven't really thought this through. And even Susie Wolf was saying that uh, she wasn't brought in in time to have an influence on any of the major decisions for this year. And a lot of her role for this year will be in an observational capacity, which great for next year. But if you're trying to get people, like you were saying, Jesse, and, and sponsors to, to look at this to help, with with the careers for all of these drivers, regardless of where they end up in the future, you kind of got to start off on the right foot, and it seems a little bit duck footed. Yeah, there's. I think we can give we can forgive it its foibles and the grounds of it didn't have the best heads in charge of it when they put together this first season. The real acid test will come in its second season. I'm willing to sort of give it a sort of mm. a, a dog a point here run. and yeah see how it goes but i think ultimately there is a lot of pressure on it as a season to perform and i think the one pressure. problem want there is that you and i and and, and you as well and me and all of us motorsport fans we're willing to give it the test run but that's our prerogative as motorsport fans it shouldn't be f1 that are like we'll give it a test run they should be like following up their their words with actions and how much they say they believe in it how much they want it to work why are they not putting that effort in straight away out of the box instead of kind of dilly-dallying a bit? It's kind of smacks of, yeah, we're going to make it look like we we want to do all this stuff, but we're going to distance ourselves just enough so that if it does, kind of, it's kind of what they do with WC, we'll support it, but not too much in case it doesn't work. And for something that's directly got F1 in the title, not the best approach, even if that's not what they intend, it comes across wrong in messaging. I think the other problem you're going to have is that this year you've got two qualifying sessions and three races. If this then joins F1, the F1 calendar next year and follows F1 around, you're not going to have mm. two qualifying sessions and three races. So the, it's automatically going to well, change next year. You say that, but last year, not last year, was it Jesse, or was it the year before that we had three F3 and F2 races? 
Uh, it was absolute last chaos. Year. It was last year. Yeah, we had three for each. We had this kind of oh, thing. No, we only oh, had no, the one qualifier. Year, year before, it was twenty twenty one. Yeah, we had, we, we had we one qualifying session, but we had two sprint races and a feature race. And whilst we somehow managed to watch all of it, well, I did. Um, it was a bit. It was doable, but it turned into a very long weekend. And I think if you have F one Academy doing that, then you're not going to get F two and F three, or at least one of them on the same weekend there. And you're going to have to be very selective in where you put all these championships. I still don't mind the idea of saying first six rounds of the Formula One season is all of the F one Academy season, and then the next six rounds are all F three, and then you've got all F two or something like that. Because otherwise, there's going to be such massive gaps between rounds, like you say earlier with Le Castellet and Austin. It's smacked of F two for me because there's this massive gap between their penultimate race and their final race. It's like three months gap or something, um, and it just it's it's not great for the drivers because you just get into the swing of things, and then you've kind of got this one-off kind of round on a weekend where you've just got to launch everything at it and hope that it goes well. Because if it doesn't, with three races and two qualifying sessions, if you get off on the wrong foot there, that could really torpedo your weekend. However, I will say when it comes to trying to cram as much into an F1 weekend as possible, if you look at things like Monza last year or Spain, you do get your F2, your F3 and your F1 all in there. And in Monza, we even had... Uh, Porsche Super Cup on top of that and obviously track demonstrations and other things going on around the circuit there is time there is plenty of time but But. you need to have the more conventional conventional track timetables of a qualifying sprint a feature done and you want to ensure you get that quality aspect rather than the quantity and just try and cover it off that way and that it's you could fit it in quite easily. We saw Porsche Super Cup a hell of a lot. It's great racing, Porsche Super Cup. If you ever get a chance to watch it, or if it comes up on Sky Sports, watch it. It's actually quite entertaining. Uh, it's also where a lot of the soundtrack for Drive to Survive comes from. You might recognise the sound of flat sixes instead of turbocharged V6s. I wondered how long that would take. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, but yeah, it, there is definitely a gap in F1 weekends for F1 Academy to slot in and make up that standard as you sort of see in that sort of an F1 weekend. It always goes F3, F2, F1, and then the cycle starts again for the next whatever element it is, whether it's a free practice, qualifying, or a sprint. It goes F3, F2, F1. You could, there is no reason that you couldn't sort of squeeze F1 Academy in and then go F3, F2, F1, F1 Academy, F3, F2, F1, and so on and so forth throughout the weekend. It's perfectly doable. I think then you then have to start looking at what countries it would almost be in the summertime where you have the longer days so there's more light so is it then going to be sort of more european we don't tend to really worry about that because we sort of bounce from australia to when it's Australia's in sort of its late summer up to Europe as it sort of comes into spring as the days start getting longer we sort of almost follow that equinox as it flip-flops between the two hemispheres so the day length is never really too much of a problem the thing that often is I think when it comes to planning is noise restrictions how loud how long you're allowed loud noises to go on for seems to be more of the issue with like permanent race circuits it's not too bad but even then the most iconic one for that is things like laguna seca everyone always goes oh wish formula one would do laguna seca you can't someone lives literally right next to it a house that was built way before the circuit was is next to it and there is a noise limit of things something ridiculous like you just do what they did in spa and just demolish the house (laughs) someone lives in it you you, they would Uh, be very upset around them demolish around them but the fact of the matter is that you 
that would then become the limiting factor is probably noise restrictions. I think time-wise you can get away with it. You start having the more sort of, I don't want to say night races, but dusk races where you start getting the sun go down like Australia, like we've seen in Kota, where the race goes on a bit later just to sort of deal with the heat. It looks That would be a great gadget fantastic. test for noise-cancelling headphones though. It would be the ultimate test, certainly, having someone go flat through the corkscrew in a screaming V10 F1 car, but again, I think it's <laughs> moot. But the fact of the matter is that there is certainly space in the F1 weekend to have F1 Academy, and I know that's something that Susie Wolf is looking towards bringing in. We're going we're gonna to have it officially already on an F1 weekend next year, going to Minicali. It's just going to be, like you say, Elimay, what form that takes. Will it keep the same format? Are we getting maximum racing this year so we can have more opportunities to showcase all the drivers and the teams and what they're capable of, and then we can refine it a bit next year? Is it kind of like any of the early championships when they were starting out, like Formula V Extreme, United Rally Cross, where they're kind of, we've got an idea, we'll see what the fans think, and then we might actually listen to them and make some tweaks and see what works and what doesn't and test it out in that way we just don't know yet and it's kind of it's tricky for us to to speculate too much beyond that i guess you would quite happily compromise having less races say they have like maybe one feature one sprint if it meant that they were then on the f1 Mm. calendar so and it's a method that already works well for the the two feeder series and gets them embedded in that kind of a layout for when they do progress later on into into those categories. Which is mm. the main reason why they've got F1 Academy is so that they can then go up to F3 and F2. So if they then can fit into, if they already have that background of how F2 they've and got F3 all the basics sorted. They yeah, they've already got a plan of how to go about things. Definitely going to be interesting to see it this season regardless of where we see it i.e platform wise and certainly where we see it next year circuit wise will be as yet to be determined but on that note then before we finish off because i want to end this on a slightly higher note we've got seven rounds this year i want from both of you and i will do it myself which one are you most looking forward to seeing go racing at and then if you could choose any grand prix track on the calendar for next year that isn't where they're going this year where do you want to see them go Jesse, I'm going to be really mean and come to you first. Uh, circuit I'm most looking forward to them at is Zandvoort because that seems to produce pretty good feeder series racing. We've seen it previously with the F2, especially last season. It mm-hmm. produces good racing. It's a tight circuit that demands awareness from drivers. And Crane Cam. And Crane Cam, which I absolutely loved that last year. Um, but I think because of the tight nature of the circuit, the fact that you have to be on your toes going through that those sort of the tighter parts of that track, it really opens up the opportunity for drivers to not only make mistakes, but at the same time also show off that they aren't going to be making those mistakes, which is something that uh, F1 teams are going to be looking out for. And equally, it's a track that does feature on the F1 calendar. So again, there's going to be some base level to test against. You've got other feeder series that go there. So it's a good one to sort of measure against and use as a yardstick. For circuits that I'd like to see them at, in the future, I think purely on sort of British bias, I'm going to have to say something like Silverstone, <laughs> because again, it's that idea of putting them against yeah, mate, smacking the table, putting them against a circuit that's well known and well proven, but equally, British fans and Britons in general love a bit of motorsport. You've got to look at the incredible wealth of motorsport series that aren't sort of high tier motorsports that the UK follows, supports, and enjoys. 
there is certainly a home for F1 Academy in the UK. Over the weekend, we had people crowing about Janetta G4s. We had the Caterham series going mm. off. It's been a busy weekend gone for professional low-level motorsports and or sort of, I don't want to say low-level, but sort of feeder yeah, series feeder series style things. The Janetta G4s is what Lando Norris went through. It's what Abby Eaton went through. It's what I think Jamie Chadwick even did Janetta G4s at one point as well. So there is... Yeah. It's a, a good feeder series and a good base point. The, um, as a country, we lap it up. As a society, we enjoy it. So I think there's definitely scope for us to take on F1 Academy and enjoy it as a series. Billy May? I will go with Spielberg. I think that, obviously, it's the first race on the calendar. I think they'll still be trying to find their feet and sort of trying to show their domination. And also, it is a nice track. You've got sort of the undulating nature of it. And, yeah, I think it, that one, for me, is the one I'm looking forward to. Um, I wanted to say Silverstone, for who I want. <laughs> Mainly for the reasons that I said sort of earlier on. I'm trying to think where, not so much what's the best track, but where the sort of series itself will get sort of the best coverage yeah i'm trying to think sort of big circuit again because they're already at austin because that would have maybe been my second one of, with kota because that usually has like a big following Vegas, uh, it is <laughs> who would i choose Maybe you have a drum I'd roll effect in there for <laughs> Maybe I'd go for one of the Middle Eastern countries. Maybe Bahrain? Yeah, yeah I final answer. Yeah, yeah, I'll go for Bahrain. <laughs> I mean, again, like you were saying earlier, one of you, I can't remember which, but we've got great feeder series action. Oh, Jesse Zanvort for, for F2 and F3. So Bahrain's also proved very good this year for feeder series there. So there is a lot of potential there as well for F1 Academy if they wanted to. So, and again, differing times of day, maybe they'd get a little bit of evening, kind of a drive into the evening race because of where it'd be placed on the weekend. That could be quite a fun kind of element to have to it as well that the F2 and the F3 don't really have and what F1 used to have. Yes, who would you have, Timo? Uh, I'm not sure now. I'm just trying to think because Monza seems like the obvious example, but I want to say Le Castellet just because... It's a curious track. It, it's not, I'm not because I want that. I, I never want that. Um, but because Le Castellet, it, it's it's a curious track because for F1, it's kind of eh racing. But for the European Le Mans series, very good racing. And we've seen feeder series of F2 and F3 have kind of a mixed bag of it. F3's been more good there in the past, I think, than F2 has been. Iwasa, when he was in F3, I think, did some brilliant racing there, if memory serves. So I'm going to say Le Castellet in the hopes that that works out. As for where they would go, Sergeant, let's keep it three for three, South American Brazil. That would be fun for because we don't see FIA series there at all. And Jesse nicked this from me the other day when we were talking about F2 and F3 for where we'd like to see them in the future. So I'll, I'll beat him on that one as he took Silverstone as well there. And again, it'd be nice to see just F1 Academy at a track that none of the other FIA series get to go to, really. And kind of if you're really going to stand out from everything else and try and get new eyeballs on you. And if you've got Spanish-speaking drivers and at least one from that part of the world, 
that's not a bad idea for sponsorship as well and kind of get open that market up a bit more for them. They've only got the one Grand Prix in South America if you don't count Mexico because that's more central. So why not give them a bit more bang for the buck? Brazil is Portuguese speaking. Yeah, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> uh, I think Brazil is a good uh, answer, actually. Spanish people will come and watch. It's, there we go. <laughs> it's a very difficult track. So if you can really show that you can drive on that track, I think it will raise people's eyebrows and think, oh, maybe we should watch mm-hmm. her. Maybe, exactly. maybe we should have her on our team. Yeah. Timo, where can the people find you? In the meantime, people can find me over on On The Curbs, the Nitro RX podcast, Is It Fast, Paddock Passion, and Paddock Sorority. Lots of lovely new content there each week. And some good feature series stuff coming as well on that side of things as well. So uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. Eddie May, when you're not planning world domination by stroking a white cat, where can the people find you? Uh, I'm just trying to stop the cats from killing each other. But you can find me co-running our Instagram page and running our TikTok account. Or hugging a cat. Jesse, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me all across the web, uh, Twitter, Instagram, as at Jesse on Cars. You can also find me in the real world, writing for Classic Car Weekly, doing all sorts of events, road tests, reviews, drives, and just all sorts of things, really, for the paper, and getting my name out there and published. So all good fun in that regard, and very busy, moreover. That's all we've got time for in this episode. We'll be back soon with more F1 and and feeder series content we should hopefully have an interview coming out soon as well with abby eaton as myself and jesse were fortunate enough to have five minutes with her whilst she was racing at donerton this weekend in alex brundle's mustang 